0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is dedicated for the Rifuah Shlema of Rifka Bat Hava. Also in loving memory and Lilunish Mateva Bat Sheva, Dahan Bat Sultana, mm-hmm. Aleha Shalom, and Aziza Abu Abu Hasera Bat Simcha, Aleha Shalom, sponsored by Mayor Torjman. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Joseph R. Bibi, Aleha Shalom, Lilunish Nishmat Yosef Ben Esther Shalom, sponsored by his son and uh, our... Uh, constant uh, source of inspiration, and midot tovot and our Beit Chacham David Bibi. It is always a pleasure to have you with us. Rabbi Otay, I want to share with you an amazing, uh, amazing line in our parasha. We read a little bit about this man who's called, whose name is Yitro. Yitro um, comes to visit the Jewish people. He comes to greet the Jewish people. Va'yishma Yitro, and Yitro hears, he hears everything that God did to the Jewish people. Rashi asks a very famous question. Listen to what he says. Ma shama uba? What did he hear? It says Yitro heard. Did he hear Sephardic grandma going, Kalelelele. What did he hear that made him come to check out what was going on uh, in the Jew camp? What, what happened? What was it? Answers Rashi, quoting the Midrash. He says, what did he hear? He heard, kriyat he heard about the end of our parasha last week. What did he hear? He heard about um, about the fact that the sea split, and Amalek and the war with Amalek. That's what he heard. That made Yitro come all the way down from uh, from Midian town to uh, to Jewsville. That's what happened. Now the question is: Everybody asks this question. Yitro, this guy, he was very involved in Egyptian politics. Of course, it was from Midian, but he is very famous for being one of Paro's three advisors. Paro has three advisors who he asks what he should do about the Jewish problem. Who are his three advisors? His three advisors are Bil'am, Iyov, and Yitro. Bil'am says, doubles down, yeah, let's do it, destroy these Jews. We know Bil'am's end, he carries on his life in the same vein and eventually he's killed. Okay, uh, Iov, Iov, remains quiet. When Paro is asking about enslaving and torturing the Jews, Yov doesn't agree with this, but he doesn't speak up. For that he pays by being a person who suffers tremendously, all sorts of damages in his own life, terrible Yisurin because he was quiet in the face of someone else's pain, of someone else's Yisurin. <laughs> And finally, the last one is Yitro. Yitro said, I can't be part of this. This is insanity. It's incorrect. He was a very morally upright person, Yitro. And he goes and he runs out and he runs away uh, from being part of it. He could not even be standing there. That was his protest. Because of that, he merited not only to join the Jewish people, but to have children and grandchildren that became part of the Sanhedrin. So Yitro knows everything that's going on with the Egyptians. Now, it's interesting. Kiryat Yamsuf, and Milchemet Amalek, that's what he brought, brought Yitro. Why not Dam? Sifadea, Kirim, Arov, Barat, Arbe, Makat None of those, none of those move the needle. Like, manna is falling from the heaven. Yitro is like, <sighs> you know, big yawn for those of you that couldn't see that on the recording. All right? That's the... He heard, and by the way, if you look at the parasha, what comes first? First comes? Then what do we read about? The man. Where's Amalek? End of the parasha. So he heard about this one and that one. What do you call that? Selective hearing? That's what he heard? He didn't hear about the fact that there was bitter water that Moshe Rabbeinu threw a stick in and then it became sweet. That he didn't hear about. Well, that didn't motivate him. Why? So the Sifarim tell us something unbelievable and I'd like to kind of adapt it a little bit but <coughs> I'd like to adapt it by talking a little bit about the human condition when Moshe Rabbeinu goes to, uh, to Midian and decides to get married the Pasuk tells us in this week's parasha that Yitro brings with him Yocheven Moshe Rabenu's wife Moshe said I don't want to bring my wife with me to Egypt it's a war zone I don't want her to be there they're enslaving Jews so what does he do he sends her back to be in Midian until things are safe. The he brings Yocheved, who is, he brings, uh, excuse me, Tzipora, who is his daughter, Moshe's wife. the and her two sons. Asher Shema Echad, the name of the first one is Gershom, and the name of the second one is? Eliezer. Why is Gershom called Gershom? Ki amar ger iti I am a, a, a sojourner. I'm a foreigner. In? A foreign. In a foreign, a strange land. So really, um, Moshe should have been paid royalties by sting. Either way, point is, I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger, I'm an alien, right? In a foreign country. And the second one, Eliezer, he called Eliezer, ki avi, Be'ezri, because the God of my father is my support. He helps me. And he saved me from the sword of paro. Now, the Chachamim and Mefarshim ask, one second, what sort of paro are we talking about? When Moshe killed the Egyptian taskmaster to protect the Jew who he was killing, what happened? They brought him into the court case, and they took him, they decided they were going to kill him, they were going to execute him. Because at the end of the day, he was a Jew who had killed an Egyptian. It doesn't matter if it was justified, right? The laws don't always apply to the Jews, the the laws of justice. So they took. They decided they're going to kill him with beheading. A miracle happens, and he escapes that beheading, that uh, sword of par'o. Ask the commentators one second. Which one happened first? He ran, after the execution, he ran to Midyad. So which child should have been called Eliezer? The first one, why does he call the first child, Ger I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, why does he call his son, second son, his first son, by something that happened second, and his second son by something that happened first? Obvious question. So there's many answers to this. Many, many answers. But I want to focus on one, which describes, I think, in many ways, the human condition. Moshe Rabbeinu, he's living, at this time, he's living with Yitro. He doesn't have the support system of being part of a synagogue, of being part of a community, of being part of a, a, a Jewish, you know, a Jewish group of people, a crew, that, uh, you know, everybody is talking about the parasha, or pirkei avot, or whatever the case might be. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, the most clear and present danger that I am in is the fact That I'm in a place where I could be influenced to do and to be something that I don't want to be. It is true that I need to say, I need to name a child Eliezer after that story, my past. And it is important to think about the past. But sometimes, what's more crucial in this immediate moment is your present. You know, sometimes I find people, a guy told me, he says, I went to the psychiatrist, the guy is regression therapy, he wants me to deal with all the issues of my childhood. So sometimes, again, it depends, because sometimes dealing with the issues of your childhood are the only way to, heal, to deal and to heal the issues of your present. But sometimes a person is so fragile in their present, they can't, they can't be taken down that road. They need to deal with this right here, right now. Sometimes a person is in such a fight that they can't solve the source, the problems of the fight. They, can first, they first need to figure out how can we have a healthy interaction right here without dealing with the hurt, without uncovering or opening that Pandora's box? Moshe Rabbeinu understands that the most important thing right now is to, every time his son breaks a glass, his son needs to go, 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 you know come down to school, he's yelling that name, Gershom, Gersham. He's saying it again and again and again. He creates for himself a constant reminder that the situation he's in is not one that he can allow himself to get comfortable in. That was more important for Moshe Abenu than sequentially naming his children. Let's come all the way back to here. Part of human nature is to be affected by your surroundings. A million and one people feel that they're strong enough. Everyone thinks they're strong enough to be this, you know, to survive, strong enough to, you know, invite, you know, you meet these guys, they're dating a girl that's much less religious than them. Or a girl that's dating a guy much less religious than her. And she says, look, it's not my problem what he does or doesn't do. I know that I'm gonna be, I'm gonna always be able to keep Shabbat even if he doesn't. I know I'm always gonna be able to keep kosher even if he doesn't. I know I'm always gonna be able to give tzedakah from my earnings even if he doesn't or vice versa. And I always tell people, I don't think you understand the power of something that is ever-present in your life. You're underestimating it. You're underestimating its power or overestimating your own. That's why there's certain halakhat in the Torah that they tell us, you know, there's a halakha about a man secluding himself with a woman who he's not allowed to be with. Why? Because she's there all the time. What happens? Eventually, the person, it wears down. And I want to share with you, there's an amazing study that was done in Stanford University. They study, they do a lot of neurological studies in Stanford University, I find it fascinating. And one of the things they discovered was that um, they took a group of people and they sat them in a room and they put chocolate chip cookies on the table and they told them, don't eat the cookies, it's for the next group. Rish right. Don't eat the cookies, it's for people in the next group. Then they took another group and they sat them in another room on a table with no cookies. After an hour of the cookies people sitting there cursing under their breath, the other people sitting there doing nothing, they bring in a Sudoku puzzle. You know what Sudoku is? It's like a numbers game that you have to play. Not only is this Sudoku puzzle hard, the Sudoku puzzle is impossible. That means that the numbers that you could reveal—it was an actually—it was a puzzle that was mathematically impossible to solve. What was the point of the experiment? The point of the experiment was to see how long would the people try to solve the impossible puzzle before they gave up. What was fascinating is all of the cookie people, random people in each room, the cookie people all lasted shorter than the non-cookie people. Why? Because they realized that to keep trying to do something difficult takes willpower. If you've already used up some of your willpower on not eating cookies, you have less willpower To keep trying at the puzzle. I need you to hear that. That means that it's not like you have willpower for cookies. And willpower for kosher. And willpower for tefillah. And willpower for keeping, you know, for being honest. And willpower for being nice to your wife. There's one pool of willpower you're drawing from. If something is draining that willpower, okay, you're going to have less willpower for everything else. So sometimes a person tells me, you know, I'm sitting in this situation. I know I'm strong enough. I know I was raised my father taught me i learned in yeshiva you know what i'm thinking i don't think you understand how this works all day every day someone's taken a a, a pin and popped the balloon however small the hole is it leaks out and not only am i worried about this i'm also worried about the fact that you need to work so hard to keep up the willpower to do these things means that all these other things are also going to suffer is this clear okay Moshe Rabbeinu understands. He's living in the home of an idol worshiper. Even if he's the biggest Sadiq in the world, he's the biggest navi in the world. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I need daily, a hundred times daily to say, Gershom, 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 Gershom. Why? Because the navi of God, the greatest prophet that ever lived, might have become an idol worshiper. If he didn't name his son, Gershom. Do you understand? Okay? Yitro, he hears. What does he hear? What does he hear? He hears Yamsuf and? I even read something beautiful. How did Rashi, where do we see a hint to the fact that what Yitro heard was this? The word itself, Vayishma. Right? Where's the words Vayishma Yitro? Listen to this. The, the letters spell the words Shama Milhemet Amalek Bekriyat Yamsuf. Isn't that unbelievable? That's what he heard. Why did he hear that? Why was that the most important thing? The answer is it wasn't. Yitro wasn't like, wow. Hashem is the best magician. That, maybe, Makat B'chorot might have been more of an item. I don't know if you read about Makat B'chorot. What went on there was Mejnun. Okay? Maybe there were bigger miracles than that. Maybe man falling from the heaven might be a bigger miracle. Yitro wasn't swayed by the miracle. What he was swayed was, not by two things, but by one thing what do you mean didn't i just tell you it was two what's the answer yitro was swayed by one thing he was swayed by amalek but he was swayed by amalek in its context he thought to himself how could it be that a sea split and an entire army was drowned and the jewish people did not lift one finger this happened in just now And that the thing that follows immediately after the drowning of an entire army is that an army could think, these are the people I want to start up with right now. What Moshe, what Yitro understood, it wasn't the splitting of the sea that brought it. What he saw was, oh my gosh, I see now that I, I have been, like a Pasuk says, Kohen Yitro tried every avodah zarah under the sun. He tried Baal. He tried Marculis He tried Tanagachi. He tried a lot of things that are avodah zarah. Okay, and what happened? What happened? There's one thing he hasn't tried. Which religion? Jewish. Judaism. Now that's a little funny. Like you're gonna try them all, and your son-in-law is like the flipping head of that. Like would that not come up at the dinner table? You know, so father-in-law, like you're going to switch religions this week? Absolutely, yeah. You know, why don't you try mine on besides? (laughs) I'm not sure, maybe Yitro was in the SY community, he knew they wouldn't accept, the point is is, Yitro doesn't join the Jewish people. Why not? (coughs) Suddenly Yitro understood himself. He saw that if a person does not want to believe in something, and even if it's staring them right in the face, they won't see it. Yitro finally understood why he wasn't joining the Jewish people. He finally understood that there was an emet sitting right in front of him that was a difficult emet for him to swallow. He's the kohen, he's the big dude, he's, everyone looks up to him, and all of a sudden, his his little son-in-law, no father-in-law wants to be bested by his son-in-law. Yitro understood that a personal interest might be what's getting in his way he heard <laughs> that you could hate someone so much in order not to see or that there could be an interest so strong I could choose not to see so on the one hand you have understanding human nature correcting for human nature on the other hand you have Yitro. The outcome of all of this rabotai, I want to share There's one last point, which I think will be the takeaway and the take home. There are challenges that every person faces in their life. For some people, it's easy to be honest. They don't feel when they see they could bust a move, they have a hustle and could like rewrite or under-report taxes or over-report, you know, a thing. They don't find that's not an say on for them. Being honest in business, it comes most night. They wouldn't even think of, they couldn't even fathom not telling the truth on everything. Some people, that's how they're built. Some people, they're sneaky. It's the hardest thing in the world to answer honestly in business in a business meeting. Very tough. Some people, you know, with women, they're very easy. Some people they have challenges. Some people, when it comes to being kind and gracious and uh, nice and accepting, it's part of the way they were brought up. Some people at the Shabbat table, all they did growing up was make fun of people. In shul, did you see this guy? Did you see that guy? You saw what she was wearing. Oh my gosh, she looked like a cow, etc., etc., etc. That's how they were raised. They were raised on lashon So for someone like that, it's very tough. Recognize your weak points. <coughs> and correct for them. Set up in these places, in these weak points, in places you know, it might be difficult, might drain your willpower, might be an issue. Figure out how to have your Gershom in that place. So as an example, if there's somebody all the time that speaks Lashon and you sit next to them in shul, change your blooming seat. Sit next to the guy that would never say a word about somebody, sit next to a guy who doesn't talk in shul, there is no sure way in synagogue to stop talking to Bet Knesset than to sit next to someone else who refuses to talk. What are you gonna do, talk to yourself? You understand? Get a shom. If I know that that's what I do, let me deal with my own reality and correct for it. Each and everything works like this. Every Nisayon in the world, there's something that you could do to, it, to indicate, you know, to help solve for that problem. It just takes a little bit of creativity. I'll give you one last example, you know, sometimes there's challenge a lot of people face online with seeing things that are not appropriate, okay? So one way is a person could put on a filter on their internet that if they see that they're you know, not strong enough, so some people do, that's what they do, they have tag organization, you know, they filter the internet, your phone, no, it's kosher, it's easy, it's clean, you don't have anything, it's, uh, you know, objectionable on your phone. But the problem is, a lot of times you put the t- thing on, you can take it off. So sometimes people, what they do, they know themselves. They don't want to do what they're doing anymore, so they go and the the organization writes a code, you know, and then you don't know it. And if you need to put or change anything, you can go back to them, and then they'll change it for you. Okay. But then there's another thing I found out that was amazing. Okay, um, it's an it's a uh, an app or a website that people could use, that wherever they go and wherever they see a snapshot of their History gets sent to a predetermined friend. Could you imagine if your friend knew what you.? you imagine? Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, the guy knows. He's embarrassed. What this person's going to know about what I, what I did. I don't want anyone to know what I did. I don't want to know it. And I, I learned from that, from that example, what a beautiful example that is to other things too. If there's somebody that you'd be embarrassed of, They should know something about it. And then again, in that specific example, it's to do with internet addictions, okay? But what if you could do that for other things? What if having your friend know your tzedakah output would be something that would be beneficial? Not to let everybody, just on the quiet. Let me send you all my, this is what I took in, this is what I gave. So that way you know you're being kept honest. The guy could call you and say, call you out on it. This is the one. These are the 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 ways of some of a person who wants to find perfection. On the easy things, you work on it, you manage it yourself. But when you keep failing at something, when you're worried you might, sometimes you can build things, mechanisms around that will help support you even in those things that are, that you find the most challenging. May we be zocher always to be our strongest selves, to make a huge difference in the world around us, and to be Hashem, bnei aliyah, uh, people who are constantly striving for growth. Baruch Amen amen rabbi chalanya